You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. If you'd like to learn more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com. On the website, you'll be able to find past beard casts and other blog posts that we have up there. You can also click the buy stuff item and pick up a few items to, to support the podcast. But we uh, thank you for listening and you hope you enjoy our show today. listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And today we have uh, we have some more special guests with us. We've been doing a lot of interviews and bringing people on. And um, one of these guys you're familiar with, uh, Chris Wilterdink, uh, he's been on before and, and talking about some of the things that he's doing. But we have uh, his partner, Craig Miller, uh, and together they've started the Future Of podcast. And we wanted to get you guys on to uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing, what's going on with the podcast, and um, yeah, just kind of go go from there. Cool, man. Thanks for having us back. Um, yeah, sure. good to like virtually not see everybody again. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Craig is here at Discipleship Ministries, and he's in the floor above me. He's part of Leadership Ministries, uh, and he and I um, teamed up to do a podcast because we were really curious about um, kind of what was in terms of faith in America, kind of the story of what is uh, for faith in America, and then trying to pitch some ideas and think about the things that will be uh, regarding faith and faith development and church in the United States. Is that pretty fair to say, Craig? Yeah, this really came out of uh, a workshop we've been doing at the School of Congregational Development, uh, where we've been taking a look at generational issues. And then we started thinking, well, there's a lot of new research coming out and really thinking about, well, how can we tie that to our faith experiences and help people in the church think about, well, what should we be looking forward to in terms of how we're creating ministry today? A big part of it for me came from um, this part in the presentation where I like to do like using Google autofill, you know, where like if you type in the first couple of words of a question and then it tries to guess what it's going to say. Um, and it, inevitably, if you type in, you know, why are millennials blank? Like the first 10 hits are all really negative. You know, like why are millennials so lazy? Why are millennials so entitled? Uh, why do boomers hate millennials? Why do millennials hate boomers? You know, that, that kind of a thing. Um, and so it's a, it's a broad enough cultural trend that it's really gonna cause some issues for the church if we don't pay attention to the things that we share in common um, and look at kind of some of those generational conflicts like Craig mentioned. So um, as you guys have been uh, doing this uh, podcast, um, what are some things that uh, you've discovered um, just in your conversation and, and maybe just future study as you, uh, I know this is part of a, a larger thing that you were doing to get out there, but what are some things that you've kind of have learned or discovered? Well, our first uh, series, we're going to be doing a group, a series of four as we look at different trends. So the first one is looking at uh, the new youth boom. And so if you take a look at each generation, like the boomers, millennials, Gen X, et cetera, you'll see that when they reach the age of 18, there is a shift that begins to happen in the culture as that generation begins to find its voice. And so this year, uh, when we heard about the shootings in Florida at Parkland, and we started seeing the high school students out there, uh, you know, leading uh, marches uh, and really responding to that in a in a very strong way, it really dawned on us to say, hey, wait, this looks like the beginning of a new youth boom. And we, again, when you take a look at what's called Generation Z or iGen or iKids, they're still trying to land on a name. We're using Generation Z for this series. 
Um, yeah, they're at that same point the boomers were in 1964, for example. So we thought it'd be interesting to take a look at some of the trends then that we see among this group, what makes them different, and to realize that um, for churches, what they have been doing for you know, the youth that were there two or three years ago, or even five years or 20 years ago, depending how updated they are, right? Um, we have to start rethinking, well, what is youth ministry gonna look like for this Generation Z? Something that I really learned in our conversations about youth booms is uh, how there's a real sense of nostalgia um, from older generations, like looking at the empowerment that young people are experiencing right now and almost having like flashbacks to, oh my gosh, I remember when we were protesting the Vietnam War um, and how powerful that was and how I didn't want to ever trust anybody that's over 30, you know, kind of a thing. Um, so there's this real like pull of nostalgia along with um, this really complicated mix of wanting to support young people and helping their voices be heard. Um, but also at the same time, like not wanting to kind of move on from positions of power which is a really interesting dynamic, right? Like between adults who have been established adults and then younger people. Um, when you have two different age groups that care about the same thing, it's a really interesting dynamic for how they like make space for each other at the table or not, you know? I call that handing the keys over. And I've been complaining about that for years is, uh, you know, when we turn 16, getting the keys to the car and, um, I've noticed that in churches where, you know, we, yeah, we want young people, but we don't want their opinions. Like, you know, it's, right. it's kind of like, yeah, we want you to drive as parents, but then we don't want you driving as parents, you know, and I just kind of see that comparison between the two. And that's something I know I've struggled with uh, throughout uh, my ministry. It's just like, Hey, you want me, but then you don't want my opinion. And so, um, and, and I think that that's something that would be a great podcast or conversation about how we could share that space and make room for each other. Um, so, yeah. And I think what's different with this generation, we're not handing the keys over. We're handing them a, a new phone at the age of nine, which gives them contact to every information source in the whole world. So they are forming their own opinions, you know, beyond what their parents are. And the parents are asking, Hey, how do I get this app on my phone? So in a sense, today's younger generation has more power over their uh, parents or adults because they are able to access the information uh, better than their parents do. So that is what is really interesting about the dynamics. And then out of your podcast, I'd be interested here, well, theologically, how do we approach this younger generation that has had such a wealth of experience and information that they have when they come to the topic of faith? And I think that's something we've been wrestling with um, throughout this podcast is having, um, how do we have, and, and that's kind of our MO for this podcast, that we want to have what looks like healthy theological conversation um, over the internet, because uh, one of the things, and I'm sure you've all noticed this, um, that the conversation uh, on the internet is not necessarily healthy, and that it becomes one-sided, um, no matter what your particular view is, um, and so uh, we've been trying to model through this podcast over the last three years what healthy dialogue can look like uh, as a model of saying, hey, look, this is actually what it needs to be, and this is what it can be, and this is what it should be, is to bring people on and to have uh, 
good theological conversation and reflection upon what it, you know, what it means to be a Christian in today's digital age and how we can have relationships, you know, millions of miles apart. And, uh, you know, what does that say when we have a shooting, um, you know, wherever, how do we respond where we're at? And, and, um, I think the thing that I've really discovered through this is that, um, it's been amazing to see how many people that we've have found us through just Googling something or have stumbled upon us through a friend or something to say, Hey, you know, these guys are doing something kind of different. And, um, and you know, that's kind of been our whole MO is to try to model what healthy theological reflection can look like. Whereas, you know, on the internet, I mean, you know, we can use what just happened with the constitutional amendments in the Methodist church, uh, depending on what side of the fence you're on. I mean, it's just an ugly, vicious, disgusting battle. Instead of actually reflecting on what does it mean that we didn't vote this in, it's kind of like, it seems to me that people just draw lines in the sand and say, hey, here's where I am, or put the Facebook sticker up and say, hey, you know, this is who I support, instead of actually having good reflection saying, hey, Maybe it wasn't, this is what we were trying to say. Maybe there was just a misunderstanding and perceive, you know, just actually like looking at it and, and, and trying to have a good reflection. I think that's what we've been trying to do here. And if I'm wrong, Zach, please correct me on that. No, I think you're spot on. Uh, Cause one of the things that we noticed early on, especially with youth ministry and um, just people in general, um, you know, you, you take a look back into uh, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and, and people, youth especially, were able to congregate and make community in public. They were able to go to the theater and be there. They were able to go into coffee shops and be there. And what we've noticed now is uh, young people aren't able to go and be places. Uh, they aren't able to go build these communities in public places. So they're using their phones. They're using the internet to do that and have those conversations. And so uh, recognizing that trying to build a community within that or bring, have a place where people can come and gather. Absolutely. Why do you think youth aren't able to gather uh, like they did in previous quarters? I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. It you know, um, it's kind of what you've, you, we've all kind of talked about already with the handing over the keys or giving of the phone. We want youth. We want people. We want uh, people to come, but we don't really, right? Uh, we like the idea of people being in our space, but then they use our space and they leave a mess or they don't do it the way we wanted them to do it. And so we've pushed all of these uh, places out. Uh, one of the examples, you know, you, when I was growing up right outside the movie theater, you know, it's just kind of a big courtyard and you could hang out there, you know, all day, really. Uh, there was a Subway sandwich shop right beside. Uh, and so you get your sandwich, go hang out, go to your movie, come back out and hang out some more. Well, now when I go back home, there's no loitering signs posted oh. all over that. And, and so people are being shoved away from these places where it was common ground to hang out. Well, and I think it goes back to the third place. And this is something that we've, it seems like the last few weeks we've been having this conversation on this podcast mm -hmm. is what does a healthy third place look like? And we don't have really good safe models for what a third place looks like. Your third place is, you know, you have home, work, and then, you know, places where you congregate or, you know, de-stress or, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, let, let's be honest, a lot of our congregations are not necessarily healthy third places to be. Um, for whatever reason, it, you know, the space may not be conducive, you know, like 
in my office right now, I have two power outlets for my office. And so I've got extension cords like crazy running through my office because I need those kind of things for my kind of office. And so, um, you know, our churches struggle about creating a third place where people can feel safe to have conversation or a place to congregate to, you know, maybe to put together a rally to go and protest a movement or um, there's just not that. And so what it results to is, Hey, you know, I'm going to tweet, Hey, I'm going to meet up here. Let's meet here. And, you know, or Hey, on Facebook, you know, those Facebook groups that, that start out of crazy or whatever um, that we haven't, uh, equipped people to have a healthy third place or it's, you know, um, and I think theologically on that, it, it's, we look at how, um, we're called to establish community and create community. Um, and it's not necessarily agreeing a hundred percent, but it's agreeing on, you know, the goal, the end goal of that. In, in terms of like public gatherings at church, I personally blame the quality of the coffee and donuts. Um, and also church lemonade, church lemonade, is <laughs> and I think we need to step our right in, like related to the food stuff there. Um, I think another, another element of it is that we get better at the things that we practice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so because there's this element of the genuine use of technology, uh, you know, like Gen Z, I mean, they born into it, right? Like mm-hmm. not quite with a smartphone in your hand, but you know, iPhones came out in 2007, iPads came out in 2010. So, you know, like my own kids, uh, they think a phone call is a video chat, right? Like using FaceTime or whatever. Like if they are making a phone call and there's no picture with it, they're like, oh, this is weird. Um, And so because of that lack of the third place and because of maybe some of that social gathering space, right, Zach, it's kind of been chipped away. Um, there's not a sense of safety in public gathering spaces, right? And so any of these sort of domestic terrorism kind of pieces where there's just this reinforcement of you don't feel safe in public, you don't feel safe in public, you don't feel safe in public. And then when you're not together in public, you get out of the habit of being in that community face-to-face. So when you take away the device, and we talk about this, I think a little bit in our screen time one related to youth booms, when you take away the device that people are used to interacting with others through, all of a sudden the face-to-face feels super weird, you know? So even if you get an online community together in person, it can feel really awkward. Yeah. And there's something dawned on me as you were talking about the third place, which really started with Starbucks. It was their focus saying, we're going to be the third place mm-hmm. uh, as they were uh, really getting going in terms of their coffee bars and stuff like that. But there's an assumption in that statement that there is a first and second place for you. Right. Right. So first place is home and second place is you is school for youth. Sure. Well, mm-hmm. school does not appear to be safe. Uh, my son's in high school and he started a new high school as in ninth grade. First day of school, uh, you know, they, there was a gun and something. Right. And about every two weeks we get a call from the principal. And, and you don't live in a part of town where it's like hunting gun. You know <laughs> no, I mean? no, like no. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Where the school is right across from like Green Hills Mall, which is like this super expensive mall, yeah. uh, etc. The kids though are from all over the, the city. But the issue is every two weeks we get a call from the principal. There was a threat, uh, but we checked it out and everything's okay. Or yeah, there was a fight in the hallways uh, yesterday, but it's you know, the kids are, are under control, you know? So every 
you know, every other week, like I say, that's our experience of high school. So for kids, how is that second place a safe place, right? And I think that's what's really in the home, what's happening in people's homes as well, you know, is, is mm -hmm. another issue that, that uh, we can think about in terms of the family. So for our young people, the only safe place is really their screens when they are mm -hmm. interacting with their friends, as long as no one's bullying them, right? Right. <laughs> so so I right. Think a, a real sense of challenge for us to get into the minds and thoughts of this generation in terms of the experiences that they're having on a day-to-day -day basis. And you realize that um, what we say from the pulpit or in worship or whatever um, has to be recast to really tackle those issues of trauma, of experience, of fear, uh, those things that our young people are feeling on a regular basis. You know, and that, that's something I argue quite a bit, um, especially with the generational gap. Um, I hear it all the time. Well, when we were in school, you know, we just got over the bullying. You know, it was, we handled it different, right? Um, the whole idea of bullying and, and just, you know, well, kids are just soft. I hear that a lot. You know, they're just whatever. And it's like, no, they can't get away from it anymore you got to go home where you didn't have a screen or a computer or anything these kids are going home and it's still on their phone they still have connection to all of this and they, they can't get away from it and and so you're right creating that space as long as we can create a healthy space you know we've got to find a way to disconnect from the unhealthy parts of it well i think that that's like been my big push for camp ministries in our annual conference because I'm I'm only 20 minutes away from Camp Egan, thus wearing the shirt today. Um, uh, better than Camp Vegan. Yeah, right. Better, way better than Camp <laughs> Vegan. Uh, the, the food's better, at least. The yeah. the one thing I love, and I love watching this happen too um, at camp, is watching them when they come into camp and they realize they have no cell service. And you kind of see that like, just like, oh my God, like, it's like watching almost someone off of drugs. Like, uh, you know, like I, I gotta like, at least have it on to like, even though I can't see anything and I can't connect to anybody or anything like it, th just that comfort, um, you know, it, it's kind of fun to watch that. But then as the week goes on, as they, you know, they realize that, you know, they can't have the device and whatever. Um, it's been amazing to see how like by the end of the week, the create community that we create of being together is like that that can happen. Mm -hmm. It's just, we have to, and Zach's right. Like, man, it'd be great if like, and maybe in our youth room, you had a switch to like block, you know, cell phone use and just like flip it on and like, all right, today we're going to, you know, have serious conversation and, and we want to help, you know, deal with some issues. And, and, you know, cause the only way to really do that is, detaching them from that piece of equipment or maybe even going a step further and maybe doing something like this where it's like all right you know hey youth before you come to youth today watch this video or something like that just to you know um, incorporate it maybe even meet them where they're at and I think that that's the struggle the church has a hard time with is meeting people where they're at uh, we just assume hey you know I'm in a huge building here in, in Tahlequah hey you know people know where we're at and I'm like no they don't like you know, they could Google us and maybe find us, but, you know, nobody's really Googling churches in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Um, but if we can provide other things like, you know, maybe healthy marriage courses, um, parenting courses, things like that, to, where people can, you know, 
actually, hey, here's what they're doing. You know, hey, that's something enticing, something where they may actually find our space. And then, hey, you guys do church on Sunday? Yeah, you know, like that conversation. Um, and I think that that's, I think that's the problem that churches sometimes struggle with is meeting them where they're at in a new way versus just picking up a book, you know, and saying, hey, we're going to offer a study on Romans tonight. We really love for you to come and study our study on Romans tonight. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just think that we have to rethink our approach. And some of it may even be just leaving our building and spaces and maybe meeting them out in the digital world, but then also saying, hey, um, we want to have this conversation and realize that like what we say here is a is is trying to figure out. We want to figure this out together. Um, I think that the more we do that, the better off we can make that be. Oh yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and one of the things that we like to play around with on our podcast a little bit is some of that dynamic of like, you know, this is the way it was and this is how I remember it, right? Kind of back to Zach's point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your point as well, Matt, about like, you know, this is how the church built itself. Um, but what was is not what is, and it certainly is not what it's going to be. Um, so we need to be able to figure out new ways um, to be out in the community because the way that faith communities were built over time for previous generations, it's not how they're going to be built for future generations. Um, you can't just have the building and say, yeah, you know, come on inside because that's one of the scariest things for a non-church person to do. Um, would be like cross the thresholds of the doors of a church. I, I'm interested here, here from uh, Matt and Zach in terms of what do you think is the uh, theological message or the gospel message that connects with this younger generation? Have you given any thought to that? I think each generation there is a message that connects them specifically to the gospels because the gospel has many elements, many messages that can connect with people. So what do you think is about that idea? So I'll go, I'll go very biblical on this. It's contextual, meaning that it's different. Like, so I've been in, in nine years, I've been in five different communities mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's not one other than saying God is love. Yeah. Uh, there's not one overarching mm-hmm. thing that I can say in each community. This was the tying theme other than God is love. I mean, that's kind of a universal under, you know, that, that works. And, and I think the, the, the difficulty that churches have is that we've moved. Um, we have forgotten that our faith is contextual and that there's a reason why we have four gospels is because they present a different context and a different view of the faith uh, of Jesus from a different perspective. And those perspectives speak to each community. Um, we grab a book and I'm going to use Chris's book here, uh, everyday disciples. And we assume that this is, and this just happened to be sitting on my desk. This wasn't just a, a shameless plug. Um, but, <laughs> he, he gives me no money for that. So, um, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but the, I think the problem that we have is that we take a book like this and we just like try to shove it in our community and say, this is going to work and not looking at it and saying, you know, there are parts of this that will be great and and we're going to use those parts. And then those other parts, we just won't, that, that aren't who we are. And I think that the, my, my big concern has been for the church is that we have forgotten about our, who our context is, who are we wanting to go get? Uh, if we're wanting to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, the first question we have to ask is, what does a disciple look like? And so as a church community, how are we doing that? 
but I understand as someone who's been in different, I mean, I'm an appointed pastor, so I've been around, um, that I can't do the same thing everywhere I go and expect to be successful. So what I was doing at my, uh, you know, two point charge with a hundred people won't work in my large church of, of over a thousand in membership. That's just not going to work. And I think far too often pastors and, and laity just assume that I can take this program and it's going to fit. And it, and it may not fit. It may not be what the community needs. And I think that that contextual work that we have to do, we spend a lot of time, we need to spend a lot of time doing, getting to know our mission field and who we are. And I think we've lost that art of doing that. And if we can spend more time being in our context and getting to know our community, um, I think we can do I think we can use the gospel message, uh, you know, of God is love and God does care for you and, and you know, wants to be there with you uh, no matter what you're going through. I, I think that will translate. It's just, we have to figure out what can speak to our context. And, and I use social media as a good example. Um, in my last community, people actually use Facebook to communicate. And so I could actually use Facebook to communicate what we were doing as a church. Um, in my previous community, it was because it was such a large community, we had to figure out how to communicate in all the different ways. But I think it's really looking at your community, at your context, and really getting to know your context, doing some contextual work to figure out how the gospel message can fit. Because it can, it's just, you can't just do it in a packaged box deal. And that's what's hard about denominational resources. While I love them, uh, what happens with them is that people take them and like, man, this is going to work. If we do it precisely by the instructions, it's going to be, you know, <laughs> we're going to have a thousand people in our congregation and then they do it by the instructions and it falls so flat that it's not even funny. And then they blame the denomination. It's like, like we have to teach that contextual, uh, we have to teach that contextual uh, building in our stuff now. I think we really need to spend more time on that. That's my and I, and I think you're, I think you're, you're right there. Um, so I've served, I'm in my third state in seven years. Um, in, in, we, we run the risk when we move around as pastors, it is, as people in ministry to go, Oh, I know that place. You know, I've, I've been in this area long enough. I know these places in, um, we don't learn the context, um, and just assume we know it and go from there and try to bring out our box of tricks. Um, what I've learned moving from the South to the North is it's different, but it's not all that different. And, and what I have found um, people searching for some sort of authenticity, right? And, and the gospels present this authentic Jesus in their various contexts. And it's, it's finding regardless of the generation and regardless of the age of people, they're looking for something authentic um, and if we can present Jesus in this way that is authentic to them, uh, that they can reach and grab onto and go, that's, that's love and grace for me. That is what loving God and loving people is. Um, they're grab onto it and take the ownership of their faith, uh, rather than just me getting in the pulpit every Sunday and telling them what to believe, uh, which is not something I do, uh, but trying to find those little nuggets of, authenticity. You know, here's who I am as a pastor, as a person, I'm going to give you my story and just be as open and vulnerable and as authentic as I can be. Um, because that's the only story I have. Uh, and hopefully in return, you'll begin to open up and, and be there, uh, in that same authentic place. And I think 
I think the Holy Spirit moves in those ways when we begin to open up and say, here's, here's who I am, here's where I'm at. God, come on, <laughs> you know, it, and we begin to make those connections. You know, I'm, I'm 99% sure that I'm the least theologically trained out of everybody on the podcast so far, <laughs> but the conversation reminds me of one of the first experiences I had when I got hired as a youth minister at my local church in uh, the South Metro Denver area. Uh, our senior pastor walked us through, um, I guess, a cultural context kind of a lesson, um, trying to figure out which New Testament letter Paul was writing to in our community. Because Paul had the letters to Rome, Paul had the letters to Galatia, to Corinth, to whatever. Um, they don't all say, say the same things right. at all. Or emphasis. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. and so it's like, you know, our, okay, so are we living in Ephesus? You know, like, what does our community look like and what did Ephesus look like? Mm-hmm. Um, is a really, really interesting lesson for me in terms of being able to get out into the community and kind of take the pulse and be out as opposed to being this really insular thing that's like, come to us and let's do this. No, let's get out, let's learn, mm-hmm. and then let's engage through relationship and figure out what authentic stuff looks like. And I think that that's one of the struggles that we're facing. Um, you know, that's, that's a big struggle that I face as a pastor is that like, I know that I need to go learn the context, even though I'm from this area, like I've been away for 10 years. So I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm not necessarily akin to what's going on in the community. And so, um, you know, it's, Hey, I really need to go and do these things in the community. But then it's like, no, you have those people that like, no, we expect the pastor to be in the office and available. I'm like, I have this really great tool that you can call me on and I'm available. And if you really want to see my face, we can, you know, and so, I, one of the things I joked with my UMW group, uh, our UMW super group met yesterday and they have another name for it, but I call it the super group. Really dangerous to joke around with the UMW super group. Well, I, I looked at them and said, Hey, um, can I do something for you if you're willing to do something for me? And they said, yes. I said, well, um, would you mind giving me the space to help you all learn your, your smartphones? Would you be okay with me doing that with you? And I said, the, the, the flip side of that is then I want you to come and communicate, you know, that's how I want you to communicate with me. Because if you can do that with me, then I can help you show how we can go and make more disciples and how we can help grow your group and how we can do some things together. Um, and I want to give you some tools to be able to do that because you guys have the one thing that they have that they do well is they're really good at loving on people. What UMW group isn't, you know, you know, through cooking and all the other stuff that UMWs do. Um, and so if we can teach our congregations who are deaf, you know, most of them are in the ages of, you know, so afraid of touching a device that they're afraid they're going to screw it up to, to, to give them that assurance that even if you screw it up, hitting reset on, it's actually one of the best things you can do for it. Um, you know, and, and, and giving them that permission to do that, it's kind of like almost the reverse conversation with youth teaching them how to have conversations with adults. Um, and that we, we really need to work on that uh, on both sides of the, on, on the story of how to communicate to those people. Because I think part of the older generation's concern or it's a fear of, we don't know how to communicate when really they do. It's just, they don't want the, the tool. It's, it's too scary for them because you know, they grew up with World of the Worlds and, and some of those other, you know, you know, technological stories where things just blew up and, you know, and they lived in a fear of, of the atomic bomb. And so if we can teach our people how to use the tools, which I don't think we do, 
then we can better go equip into our communities uh, a little bit better. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, maybe we need to come out with a book that says, hey, church, here's how you use your iPhone, you know. Uh, kind well, of. and on, on the flip side of that, I had uh, heard a story the other day talking uh, with one of our communications people in the conference. They're like a, an 80-year-old man came and chewed me out at church the other day because he can stream the stock show on his phone, but he can't stream the church service. <laughs> and he was like, here's the desire that I have, right? <laughs> and, and so there's somewhere in there that it's like, man, we have these tools. We have a group of people who don't don't want to use them or scared of them or whatever, but they have them. And then we have this other and the same generation of people who have them and are using them because they're FaceTiming the grandkids and, and streaming stock shows and things like that and have the desire to stream church and to be in church wherever they are because they're finding themselves in a bunch of different places. And so it's interesting. I, I think it's a really interesting dynamic. I, I think we could also toss out that that's not really a new phenomenon, right? Like, right. Um, I remember my parents' VCR no. was always midnight because they didn't want to, like, they couldn't set the clock for the life of them, and that was, like, a technological thing at the time. Um, but one of the things that, that Craig has done an awesome amount of research mm-hmm. on is the amount of speed at which technology is being introduced and changing. Um, and that, in itself, between the generations, is really, really tough. Um, if you want to talk older generations or even younger ones, right? Like, there's... I, I'm still below 40, uh, but there's some new technology that I'm like, oh man, I, I don't even want to touch that, right? Um, and there's 25-year-olds that it's the same way because things are developing so quickly. Yeah, and, and it's uh, a challenge for us to really think about across the generations how we use technology. But beyond that, I, I guess part of what I was, the contextualization question is, is great. And it's important for us to think out of that context, what message will connect with people? So I think one of the challenges we have right now is uh, younger people are looking at the wider culture and seeing people that call them Christian and saying, I don't want, th- I don't want to be that, right? And so the challenge is, is the, the face of Christianity in our culture is you know, not necessarily positive in a lot of young people's minds. And so we had to break through that, that image that's out there and that authenticity and relationship then becomes even more critical out of our local churches where we build relationships and authenticity out of which people can discover who Jesus is. Well, and I think that that's the one thing. Like, so when uh, Zach and I were joking about this, uh, we had Shane Claiborne on the week before his little deal with Liberty University and so we tweeted out to Liberty University and Shane Claiborne, hey, you guys can come pray with us at any time. Um, and and I've, I've, when I see those things happen and I'm with people, I'm saying, and that, I always tell people that that makes my job that much harder. When I see Christians do things that are not in the way that I feel like it should be or, you know, my particular view, uh, if it's really, especially if it's detrimental, um, and we can look at that conversation between Liberty uh, and Shane and say, you know, that's not who I am, but yet that also represent like I have to represent like that's when people think I'm a Christian, that's where they're gonna go. And so it's hard to say, hey, I'm not one of those. But let's let's get to know each other. And that's why I always it's always funny to watch. Um I, two years ago I refed uh, Little League basketball 
And like the first night was just great. Like, you know, people were horrible. I mean, it's like little league basketball is it's like worst. And then Sunday, Saturday morning, it started off again that way. I was like, Oh man, this is going to be, this is going to be horrible. And then somewhere along the line in the stands word got around that I was a pastor and the amazing shift that changed over that crowd was, was just like, it was night and day difference between the, the, it was the same crowd. It wasn't like the crowd had changed. And, And so I'm always afraid of telling people I'm a pastor because I'm afraid they're not going to be authentic with me. And so I always try not to dress the part because I'd rather people be authentic with me than when I walk in with my collar and everybody's like, Nope. Oh, you know, gotta, gotta straighten up. But then I also don't mind having the problem proclaiming that authority, walking in with my collar and saying, Hey, I just want you to be real, to, to be real that God is in this house and, and I'm a representative of that. And I'm going to try to do my best to represent that. And I think that it's holding that tension between the two of being that I call it secret Jesus and then being Jesus. And that we have to have the tension of being too, is that sometimes we have to really be, you know, who we really want to be. Like I'm, I'm a shorts and t-shirt kind of guy. I'd rather be that way in the office. So way people, you know, I feel more comfortable. I want people to feel comfortable. Um, I don't feel like I should have to wear a tie every day. Uh, I don't, I, but I think it's one of those things that, um, you know, I, the more we can work towards the authentic relationship with people, um, the better off it is. And I, and I think that that's part of the problem is that we want to have a program that tells us that, that draws mass amount of people in when relationship building is one on really to do it right is one-on-one. And that's hard to translate on, on uh, charge conference paperwork, the number of one-on-one relationships that you've created. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it just, uh, it's not, um, it's we've lost our focus. We'd rather have that mass than have the 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 true discipleshiping things that happen. Mm-hmm. And so troubling times. I mean, it, no, I wouldn't say troubling. I think it's just we just have to retool. It's time for us to really look at our toolbox and say, do I really need this? You know, and and I think that that's a that's a good conversation to have with your churches. You know, do we need this ministry to continue to exist or, um, you know, do we need the space? It's amazing to see how many churches are moving spaces because they don't need that much space. They can, you know, they can maximize their effort and what they're doing in a smaller space or, you know, where you have churches that aren't building sanctuaries, they're building multi-purpose facilities to, to better facilitate uses of building. And, and I think that those are great conversations to have that, maybe we need to be even more honest about in the sense of our, with our denomination as it's, you know, shrinking as it is. I think one of the things to focus on is to say, you know, in the context that people are living their lives, that we actually do have a hopeful message to share, right? Mm-hmm. About faith in Jesus Christ. And, and one of the things that uh, article Chris pulled out from the Barner research was, was it loneliness and anxiety or like the, top two things for young people. It's also true for uh, boomers, okay? Uh, the whole idea of loneliness is a huge issue. So how can we create uh, faith communities mm-hmm. that connect people, you know, both not only technologically, but face-to-face in real relationships? And so the, the issue is, is we don't have to out-entertain the world, but we can out-connect them, right, it, through our faith and or out-relationship. Uh, people through our faith. So I think that's the the exciting part of ministry today is how can we help people in our churches realize that they have something exciting and positive to share in terms of their faith in Jesus 
in a way that will help people find God and find faith that will last a lifetime. Yeah, and, and in terms of churches thinking about which ministries they have to keep and hang on to and do, because I know that we are working with finite resources and finite time, that's one of the things I come back to for ministry with young people. Uh, you know, how many people make their decisions on faith before the age of 18? It's a huge number. It's a huge, huge number. Um, mm -hmm. And at the same time, there's kind of a generation of millennials that has been studied you know, almost to death, right? Um, and in a lot of cases, like th that ship has sort of sailed in terms of their decision to follow a particular faith group or get off the spiritual but not religious kind of boat. Um, and so there's a real interesting dynamic with this upcoming generation where they are desiring that authentic thing, that authentic relationship and that hopeful message. Uh, and I, I just always encourage churches to be able to invest in ministry with young people because of that fact. And the interesting thing about boomers, uh, so about 10,000 people a day are retiring, okay, as you take a look at the, the boomer generation. Is that all? And, and the thing that's interesting about that group is <laughs> they are returning to the practices of their youth, right? Suddenly they've left the workforce, and so suddenly they're free to do whatever they want to, and they're going back to their practices of youth. So... You know, sex, drugs, rock and roll are very prominent among, you know, the 60-year-old generation. I mean, the Rolling Stones are still yeah, on tour. They're still on tour. <laughs> right, right, right. And they still have groupies, I guess. I don't know. But, but, the, but the issue is but a, a huge part of the boomer experience is their desire for spirituality, hmm. right? And so they are also revisiting what it means to be spiritual. What does it mean to connect with God? And so I think... Uh, just because someone comes in who's, you know, uh, 65 or 70 doesn't mean their beliefs are set. In fact, they may be at a point where they need just as much a conversation about faith as that 15-year-old is does. So I think that's an interesting thing to think about intergenerationally. How do we create those settings in the communities where people can have those honest conversations about faith? Yeah. Well, and I think you, I think you, we, you kind of nailed it on the head. I think that's why the intergenerational stuff matters. And I think that it's one of the greatest resources that the church had always had at its feet that never like that decided not to go that way. And that they felt that the silo was the best way to go. And um, something I've done at every church I've ever been at is to not have siloed ministries that we do things together. We are a church. We're not just a youth ministry. We're not defined by just our children's ministry is that we try to really uh, blur the lines on what things can be. And so I'm always honest that, you know, like we took a mission trip to Houston and I was like, um, legally because of our bounds, we can take seventh grade up until you can't come anymore. Um, and so we had, we had a, we had a seventh grader and our oldest member was 70, yeah, 70. And the interaction, one of my favorite things that we did was the last night we did, I called it speed, uh, speed, I didn't call it speed dating, but it was kind of like a speed dating thing where the you, the, the adults <laughs> sat at a table. It's a safe sanctuary issue there. Yeah. The adults said, <laughs> Hey, there was more than two. Um, <laughs> the adults sat at the table and then the youth had, uh, it was to be a three-minute conversation, a minute half each, where one youth, the youth would share their experience, and the adult would share their experience, and then we would rotate. It's amazing to see now we're a month and a half out from that trip. That group of people, the relationships that they have now, 
are far better than what they would have ever had had it been, hey, we're going to take a we're going to take a youth mission trip to Houston. We'll take an adult trip to Houston, and the only time we'll see each other is when we wake up in the morning and we go to bed. You know, and and meshing the two together and bringing those opportunities, providing that space for the two to have a, a place to come and share. Um, it's been amazing to see. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we can do that a little bit more often. Um, and to be honest about being a place that's not age restricted, but is limitless and saying, you know, we want you despite your ability, or, you know, if you feel too old, we have a job for you. If you feel too young, we have something for you to do. And so one of my favorite was this past weekend, we had an old church work day and our youngest person there was four years old and our oldest was in his eighties. Um, and so it was fun to have those interactions, watch those people interact together. And I think, you know, what's crazy is, is that's been in our feet this whole entire time. And it's something that we've forgotten to do, or we just never did. Um, and that we opted out for the silos because that feels safe and that's, you know, structured and, um, and that intergenerational gets a little messy because who's in charge, who's, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that if the church could harness that a little bit better and work on those intergenerational things, which is something Chris has talked with us about before. Um, I think it's amazing to see how we can do all those things that we've talked about today, um, just through opening that window of intergenerational ministries. You know, I'm, I'm just having this thought for the first time now, so it's not going to be the best analogy, but, uh, <laughs> Like my seven-year-old is super duper into Lego right now, right? And those mm -hmm. Lego sets come with like this real specific age range, right? Like this Lego set is for seven to twelve-year-olds, and this yes. one's for you know eight to fourteen, or, you know whatever. Um, and then there's board games that you know, like I'm sure it's kind of a joke from Mattel or Hasbro or somebody, but it's like this game is for those from age three to ninety-nine. <laughs> and wouldn't it be great, like a fun thought experiment with churches, to have them think about, okay, what could this ministry look like if it was that board game that's available from three to 99. Right. And what does it mean to have different ages playing together um, right. and the rules together uh, and supporting it, it? It would just be really fun to kind of pull apart a little bit, you know? You know, is, is that not our baptismal covenant? When we, especially when we baptize infants and we, we get to do the really cute thing, we hold them and then we hold them up like Simba. Um, you know, those are the vows that we take of, we're gonna be a part of this child's life. Uh, we're going to be a part of this child's spiritual journey, and we're going to do everything that we can to support this family and this child in their their journey with Christ. Um, and, and it's that that three to ninety nine, right? We just forget that I think sometimes that you know we do the really cute things and 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 the really special moments and have the families up and we baptize the children, and then we go about our day to day lives. And, and forget that this is something we're doing together as a community rather than playing these individual one-player games, uh, kind of playing off that analogy. The thing that's interesting about, about a lot of things we've been talking about is this isn't going to cost anything extra, right? You don't have to redo the budget to get yep. people to talk, right? right? So it's, it's, it's a matter of getting permission for people to talk and to focus on right. conversation. Uh, the conversation that leads to faith development. And so I think that's the other thing to think about. And, and you know, maybe moving your office to uh, the local coffee shop, you know, two times a week is okay as well, right? So, so that people interact with you in those spaces as well. So I think those are the things to, to uh, really think about is that um, it, it's more a shift of attitude, you know, and focus more than anything else. Well, I think that that's, um, 
you know, mm-hmm. we, I think that's something we really had to look at is our shift of attitude. Um, and I think our attitude has been, we, we want to grow our church to, you know, to be the largest and best in town. Well, what would that look like? Like, you know, what would that really look like if we did that? Um, and some churches don't want to go there and like, no, we, we like our five people and we're happy. And you know, that's all we ever want is just those five people. Um, and man, I would, I would love to push churches on saying, asking the question. And we ask, this is something we ask here is, you know, how are we asking ourselves? How are we truly making disciples of Jesus Christ and, and, and letting people, what does that mean? What does that look like for them? Um, it's been a fun little conversation that we've been having. I have a, there's a little men's group that I meet with and um, it's been fun. And all we're doing is just reading scripture, but the impact that has made on those men, you know, their wives have come to me and said, since he's been coming to Bible study, he's, wow, there's been a change on him. What are you doing to him? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) we're just reading scripture and praying for each other and that's it. I mean, and, and I think sometimes we forget that we have all the tools with us. It's just, sometimes it's just as simple as opening up our, our scriptures and just saying, Hey, you know, let's talk about this and grab that three-year-old and try, try to explain this to a three-year-old. And, 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 you know, when we do that, you know, I, you know, I've got two kids and every time they ask me a faith question, I jokingly say, go ask your mom because she can explain it better than I can. Cause I'll be up here and, <laughs> and bring it down. Um, that's her gift, not mine. Um, and then sometimes she just fires it back at me because she's tired of hearing it or she feels like she, you know, and, and I think that that's, it. if we can challenge our congregants and our, and our church members to, you know, can you explain your faith to a three-year-old? What does that look like? How do you live out your faith? To, you know, what, what does that look like? I think that, man, that would open up the door, some really good conversation and, you know, um, those things. I think, I think it, some transformation would happen. So um, you guys have some uh, resources, right? Uh, where can we find your resources? Well, since we're at uh, Discipleship Ministries, uh, everything that we post related to the future of is going to be at umcdiscipleship.org, and we'll make sure to get some real specific links that go out there. Um, basically, the way our podcast is going to go is we'll do kind of four-episode arcs that are all tied together. So the first one is the new youth boom. Uh, and it actually comes along with a study guide that Craig and I have been developing together as well. And that's available as a uh, free download um, to help small groups kind of talk through generational challenges related to uh, when generations find their voices. Um, and then, like we mentioned off the top, Craig and I are both authors. Um, my books, uh, Everyday Disciples and Building Spiritual Muscle, can be found both through the Upper Room books, um, which you can uh, find through Discipleship Ministry's website, uh, and are available on Cokesbury and Amazon as well. And then, Craig, your books? Yeah, Boomer Spirituality and uh, I Kids are my two latest books. And again, those can be found on Amazon or uh, Cokesbury, et cetera. And uh, we would also both be remiss if we didn't mention the events that we have coming up as well, because um, at Discipleship Ministries, we get to do a wide variety of things. Uh, and in August, Craig has the School for Congregational Development coming up. Yeah, we'll be in San Diego, uh, August uh, 15th through the 18th. Of 2018. 2018? Yep. Uh, a really, really awesome facility. Um, and people that should come to that are... Pastors, uh, laity that really want to focus on developing their congregations, uh, really thinking about you know how they are um, imagining the future with their churches. This year's theme is momentum, so we're excited about that. Cool. 
Uh, and mine is the big national uh, United Methodist Youth event. It's called Youth 2019. It'll be in Kansas City, July 10th to the 14th of 2019. Uh, the theme is Love Well, and we're looking at the membership vows of the United Methodist Church and how we live those out in the most loving and caring ways that we can. And I'm not just talking about prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. Those are one of this larger list of things um, that are really pretty awesome um, if we take them seriously and if we do them in loving ways. So. Perfect. If you, if you guys will send us those links, we'll get them on attached with this podcast and on our website for sure. Before we, uh, before we bring it to a close, um, I have one question for you. Uh, how do you think a boomers would feel if a millennial Zen Xer pastor wanted to teach a class on boomer spirituality? How do you think that would be received? Cause I just bought, I just bought your book and study guide. And so I'm like, I wonder if this is something I could lead or do I need to equip somebody to do this? I was going to say, um, are you asking for yourself or asking for a friend? <laughs> asking for a friend who may be in Montana who has a bunch of boomers. <laughs> well, actually, I think it's, in fact, our next series is going to be on spirituality. And we took the first four chapters of the book, which takes a look at brokenness, rootlessness, loneliness, and self-seeking. And really say that the values that we see that boomers really are seen in all the generations. They were sort of like a break from the earlier generations. And so, yeah, very, uh, you can very easily uh, lead that uh, discussion with people across the generations, really. Okay. Wonderful. Does that go bring it in? Yeah. You guys have anything else that you want to want to share, want to plug, where to find you guys? Now's your time to be shameless. <laughs> the entire time. But <laughs> that's what we ask for. I mean, really. <laughs> I do want to say I appreciate it because I'm the only one without a beard in this group. So I really appreciate the diversity that you guys are experiencing today. And allow me to be part of your group. If you want one, we can Photoshop one on. Uh... <laughs> I wish he would quit saying that because actually what's funny is the majority of the people that come on our show are beardless. And so... <laughs> Telling people that, like, quit telling them that because I can't do that sort of work. <laughs> you know I just like to make promises although, we can't keep. I mean, really. <laughs> I bet my daughter could do it because she was talking to me about doing green screen things yesterday. I was like, oh my God. can you teach me how to do these green screen things? Because I would right, love to learn. Right. <laughs> you know how Lyft, when they first started, had those giant pink mustaches that they stuck on the front yes. of cars? Like, yep. you all could just ship those, like, stick-on <laughs> mustaches yes. or stick on the people that you're going to interview go. for when it's time but I'll, I'll learn to crochet and crochet guys beards that, that'd be fun right <laughs> yeah, pretty far Our back if you're thinking about knitting <laughs> we just grow our own up here in montana uh, you know <laughs> well uh, that's fun last well, craig chris thanks thank you guys for for coming on uh, thank, thank you for you. all that you're doing with uh, your podcast and in your ministries uh keep up the great work Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Zach. Always good to hang out with you guys. And the next time we're doing future of stuff, um, we'll be recording our next series. Love to have you guys on. Yeah. Yeah. Love to be on. Just, Love to be just on. Just let us know. Yeah. So. so for our listeners at home, uh, you can check out more at beardedtheologians.com. We have uh, uh, guest blogs. We've had a lot, of, a lot of great guests on. This uh, podcast will be there on the website. You can also click on the buy stuff. That helps us. Uh, continue to do this podcast for free. Um, Mother's Day is coming up really quickly, so maybe you could overnight some shirts or coffee mugs to your mom. Uh, 
<laughs> or mother figures. So uh, we encourage you to do that. That helps us out and you get some really cool things uh, in return. Um, for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Zach Bechtold. And I'm Matt Franks. Thanks for checking us out. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had today on the Bearded Theologians Beardcast, and we'd encourage you to continue those conversations online at beardedtheologians.com or on our Facebook page. We also hope that you pick up a couple of coffee mugs to uh, satisfy your coffee mug collection. Have a good day.